0: What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the side hustle show because progress happens just beyond your comfort zone. Awesome side hustle story to share with you today and an example of the kind of progress that can be made in a relatively short period of time with consistent and dedicated effort. Today's guest has grown an audience from zero to almost 50,000 followers in the last 12 months. And he's done it on a platform that I'd kind of written off. In fact, in uh, eight years and 450-something episodes, we've never done, to my recollection, a dedicated conversation on Twitter as an audience-building platform, but that just might change today. A frequently requested guest over the last few months, he's a former college athlete turned portfolio analyst. That's the day job. And on the side, he's the creator of Ship 30 for 30, a cohort-based online course that helps you build your online writing habit. Dickie Bush, welcome to the Side Hustle Show.
1: Thanks for having me, Nick. I'm excited to be here and uh, I appreciate all the kind words on the intro. It's been a fun year and excited to jam today.
0: Very impressed with what you've been able to build. And maybe just to give people a sense of what's possible, you want to share some numbers from your most recent cohort launch for Ship 30 for 30?
1: Sure, the, the most recent cohort had 476 students at $350 a pop. So I'll let you do the math on that, but very happy with just the progress we've made, the value we're providing, and it's been just a blast.
0: Yes, solidly into uh, the six figure range just for that one launch, which is the last in the line of several of these over the last 12 months. Take me back. Like, why Twitter? You say, okay, I want to build a personal brand, I want to build an online audience. Why Twitter? It seems like it's kind of like old social media where it's uh, you know YouTube, Instagram, TikTok is getting all the buzz these days.
1: Yeah, I think there's a few reasons for it. First, I think I have the the face for Twitter. And so (laughs) there's not much on YouTube or Instagram, but that's kind of how I joke about it. But Twitter to me is it really rewards you for having clear thinking and just valid ideas. You're rewarded for putting consistent value out there versus I think Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. I just wasn't very experienced in doing any of that kind of stuff, but I'd been on Twitter for a decent bit, just kind of passively uh, involved. And I saw that the market rewarded valid ideas, adding value, clear thinking, and there's a ton of other kind of little things about the platform that make it easy to build an audience. If you're that type of person who is going to tweet consistently and write on it and so we can talk about all that, but I think it's just an underutilized platform for building an audience, which is why there's an opportunity if you commit to it, just because the competition is lower.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Because it's people like me who don't know what they're doing over there. They've had an account for years, but are clearly squandering the opportunity. So take me back to July, 2020, I guess it's that's when it says the account was established at Dickie Bush. You can go follow him over there. How do you start an account? How do you, how do people find you in the bottomless void, the endless scroll of the Twitter feed?
1: What's cool about Twitter is the retweet button, which basically means anyone else can share to their feed, anything that you write, if it's valuable. And so I kind of took that and said, well, let's pause for a second and think who's already built up a following on this platform and what are they doing? So anytime I step into a new game, I kind of look around and say, who's doing it well? What are the rules? How are they doing it? And what I found was it was the people who'd built an audience across multiple platforms. They had a podcast or a YouTube channel. And so people were kind of following them as a byproduct. And then it was also people who were writing consistently, sharing ideas consistently, and just in general, people that you would follow because some way or another, they were improving your life, whether that was tweeting ideas, tweeting news, whatever it is. And at the time, I was just a massive and still am a massive podcast listener so what i immediately did was started taking notes on the podcast i was listening to and i would tweet them out And what that did was it was immediately adding value to the podcast host right i was summarizing the things they said and putting it out there so if they were to see it right they would retweet it or share it and then that kind of jumps onto their audience and their followers all say well This is very valuable to me because I've probably listened to this, but didn't take notes on it. And now I have a a summarized Twitter thread on it. And so I became kind of a a trusted source of curation for some popular podcasts and did that for every day for about two months there in the July and August of 2020 timeframe.
0: Okay. So that was kind of the early content was notes, highlights, quotables from the shows you were listening to. Correct. Exactly. And then you're tagging the host on there. So they retweeted and they say, okay, so that shows up now to their much larger following. And it kind of is a soft, to like, well, maybe you ought to go follow this guy too.
1: Yeah. And and that's what happened, right? Where I was listening to popular shows like the Tim Ferriss show or the Pomp podcast or the Knowledge Project by Shane Parrish. And what that did was because I was consistently doing it, right? My name was popping up a decent amount as someone who was summarizing and distilling these ideas in a in a well-written way, what that did was attract kind of a, a small group of people who were interested in the same things, right? You listen to those podcasts, you probably have some kind of overlap. So I was s- starting to attract a small audience of people who saw me as a trusted source. And then I had the ability to put my own ideas out there and get feedback on them from people who I knew were interested in similar things as me.
0: Yeah, there's a a tweet of yours from just this morning. Like, today is a great day to keep going. And it's this screenshot or it's like this embedded thread from uh, last year. It's like, you know, 100 followers is the milestone. Next stop, 1,000. Did you have a sense for how long it took to get to that first 100 or first 1,000 followers?
1: So I did that first 100 in a month. And so that was a year ago today. That's why I tweeted that, which was pretty cool. I was kind of flipping through some of my older stuff and and actually thinking because, as I was looking at the outline for what we were going to talk about, like, what was I doing? Trying to remember. And I reached a thousand at the end of the very beginning of September. And it's funny because I wrote probably 25, 30 Twitter threads during that time. And some of them went somewhere and I had a couple hundred followers, but I went from... 200 to about 1500 or 2000 overnight in September, because I wrote one that got picked up by Naval Ravikant on Balaji Srinivasan, two guys who are pretty popular on Twitter. And still to this day, one of my most popular threads. And that just shows you the power of you do something long enough, right? A lot of people probably would have quit after writing 20, 25 threads that didn't really go anywhere. I was The reason I was able to do it sustainably was it was selfishly done anyway, where I wanted to take notes on these things and they were probably going to just sit in the back of a notebook if I didn't share them. But with five minutes of extra work, I kind of opened myself to that big upside of someone very famous sharing it and have kind of reaped the
0: rewards of that ever since. Okay, so a couple of things there, you know, number one, like being able to keep doing the work, it's got to be enjoyable for you and keep taking these swings until somebody hopefully takes notice after this. Like, was there going to be a quitting point for you? I was like, well, if I don't see any traction after three months, uh, I'm just going to throw in the towel. Or were you like, no, I'm committed to doing this. I, you know, this is something I want to do for myself as a creative outlet anyway. So we'll just see what happens.
1: Yeah, that's always a tough trade-off. And actually at the time I was writing a weekly newsletter and kind of writing a weekly blog post as well. But the reason I started tweeting consistently was I just kind of felt like I was spinning my wheels and had a lot of ideas that I really wanted to kind of work through. But the friction of writing a whole newsletter or blog post on it was too high. But Twitter becomes this almost idea refinery, where you have these tight constraints, you get a 280 characters, right? If you want to put ideas out there, one, you have to write concisely. And two, they're kind of free upside, where if you tweet something that no one really sees, it kind of just fizzles away into the void. But if you tweet something that is insightful, it's going to
0: get picked up. Because it's no longer just a chronological feed. There's an algorithm involved, like based on people's engagement and stuff like that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Right. So there's a network effect too, and more people engage with it. That means Twitter's going to start showing it to people. Right. So there's a lot there.
0: If I'm trying to recreate this on my own, it's, and if I have, you know, zero following to start with, you can't really just tweet your own random thoughts because nobody is going to see that. You know, you have to tag these larger accounts or somehow engage with these larger accounts for the hope of getting seen by those audiences.
1: Correct. But at the same time, the last thing you want to do is kind of tweet anything to them that isn't beneficial to them, right? <laughs> okay. the, the reason it worked was I was doing something that was almost free work for them, right? They were not Summarizing their podcast at the time, right? So it was almost well taken right away. Like you could imagine, if if someone was writing summaries of every episode of your podcast, right? You definitely share it, and so it just made sense for them to do so.
0: Yeah, that's that's an easy uh, retweet for me. It's like, well, great, I don't have to do this. This is a definitely exactly. a time saver. It's a value add for everybody involved. You know, over the course of doing this for now twelve months, are there any? common traits or common threads for lack of a better word in the tweets or threads that you have seen have like a viral impact or a viral result? So
1: one thing we preach in ship 30 is that the scope of the question determines the size of the audience. And so anything that goes viral by nature has to kind of apply to a large group of people. And so my most viral Twitter threads have been, I wrote one on 10 advanced Twitter tips. That's my most viral one that went 40,000 likes or something like that. Because it was a very large audience, very general of anyone using Twitter, this would apply to, right? But most of my other ones are all writing focused, but they're not super specific. They're broad in like how to build a writing habit or 10 tips from a copywriter on his writing process, right? So nothing too specific and anything that's going to have just big upside viral potential has to be a, a general or broad question, And anything that adds super tactical niche value is not going to have a a viral potential, but the people that do read it, it's going to resonate with heavily. So there's always kind of a trade-off here of, do you write something for a broad audience or your niche audience? And I think the barbell approach of doing both is the way to go.
0: Okay, mix and match. Do you remember any of these 10 advanced Twitter tips uh, off the top of your head? We can fire a couple off here.
1: Most of them, they're kind of tactical, like using advanced search or some formatting things you can use or... Oh, we love all that stuff.
0: Yeah, we, we can get down into the weeds. I love it. So with this advanced search, how does that play to your advantage?
1: So advanced Twitter search, is an interesting one because you can basically look for trends and ways that other people who are having big followings, what are they doing that's working? This goes back to my initial point on figuring out the rules of the game and who's playing it well right? So you can search for certain accounts or certain people, their most engaged things, their most, what topics are they constantly talking about? Are they saying things in an interesting way? You can kind of just create swipe files of interesting or creative or compelling formats, topics, cadences, those kind of things, and then work them into your own process of how could I use that format to say a completely different idea? Or how could I take that idea and apply it in a different, more concise format? You realize not everything has to be made up from scratch. You can play with things that are working, but just apply them in your own words and your own topics and end up working pretty well.
0: Would this allow you to search for, like, with certain filters, like, I want something that's been retweeted 100 times or more or has, like, this level of hearts or likes? It's like... Is that what you're looking for on this filter?
1: Yeah, exactly. You can filter by engagement or keyword. If you wanted to see everything that I said about consistency, you could search from Dickie Bush, consistency, minimum favorites, 100, right? You can see everything I've said that's been popular
0: on that topic. Okay, so this is a way to, because this is kind of one of my next questions. Like, man, you are so prolific in just the volume of tweets and genuinely Thoughtful things that you're writing on here, where it's like I, I don't feel like I have that many coherent thoughts uh, over the course of a day. and so part of it is like this content strategy of what do I do, but being intentional about it, okay, well, what has worked in the past? what has worked for other influential accounts? How can I massage that so it fits for my niche and my audience? Anything else on the content creation front and just like I don't know, like keeping a notes file of you know different things to put out or like, I'm I'm very curious about this uh, day-in, day-out production.
1: Yeah, so I actually, I kind of batch my tweet writing and idea generation at the end of every week for kind of, okay, what did I read? What did I listen to? What did I think about this week? How can I kind of put those ideas out into the market and see what the response is? So anytime before I write anything long form, like a longer thread or a blog post or something like that, I'll try to validate the idea with like a one-off tweet just sent out uh, on my timeline. And what that does is I end up only writing things that the market is asking for. And I think one reason I've had relative success on Twitter is I've been putting things out that I kind of knew people were interested in versus spending all this time on things where I was assuming people were interested in it. And keeping that tight feedback loop is really the name of the game, especially on a platform like Twitter, where you have access to Immediate market feedback. There's no reason to write something that you haven't already validated. That allows you to move quickly, right? I can test 10 potential thread ideas with one tweet or with with 10 different tweets throughout the week. And then at the end of the week, I know I'm going to write threads on those two because they were very well received or people had follow-up questions, right? This idea of, I call Twitter an idea refinery, where you put kind of these unpolished ideas out very quickly. And then you think about them, let them marinate over time. You listen to what people, how people respond to it, questions they ask, the way they engage with it. And then you kind of build up this, uh, I don't think lattice work is the right word, but this understanding of, okay, these are the ideas that are resonating. How can I then just start repeating them in 50 different ways? Mm. That is the name of the game to me is I've started to write about one idea, two ideas of, you know, writing every day, writing consistently, using writing to clarify your thinking, but then almost putting them out in all the different formats is the way you kind of can talk about a few ideas very prolifically and consistently.
0: And do you have an example of this? Like, so uh, Jim Collins from Good to Great would call it like firing bullets before firing cannonballs, like this little, you know, off the cuff, Kind of tweet, you know, validate this idea, see what kind of reaction it gets. And then the thread is this cannonball or this blog post is the cannonball. I'm going all in on this. Do you have an example of that, maybe from recent memory, where it's like, okay, I'm going to test it, see what kind of reaction it gets before, you know, really putting the thought into creating something longer form?
1: Yeah. So I'll give you two. And I love uh, Jim Collins. I actually have planned on tweeting something out today of my all time favorite podcast episodes. And him on the Tim Ferriss show is up there and he talks about bullet bullet cannonball and i think i've internalized that in an extreme way because that's exactly right with how i treat twitter it's bullet bullet cannonball so two great examples the one i mentioned earlier on just advanced twitter tips that for any user can use i actually tweeted out individual ones on like here's how to use advanced search or here's how to mute a keyword and both of those were people's mind were blown right? I was sitting on this wealth of information that I had just from kind of researching how to use the platform well. And it was almost obvious to me, but it was amazing to others. And so if you look, a few of those tweets in that my most popular thread, I tweeted out individually beforehand, got that market reaction and then said, okay, I'm going to take everything I know that I think is kind of advanced, put it all together, package it out there and send it off and boom, right? That worked. I had another one that in the last few days on Gary Halbert, legendary copywriters writing process. And I was like, let's see if people are going to be interested in it. And so I just tweeted out a picture of him and said, some summary just in a few bullet points of how he wrote. And people were like, oh my goodness, I never really heard of this guy. It's crazy. I just looked him up. So that was immediate market feedback of, I should talk more about this guy. Took a few hours, wrote a thread, boom, you know, 10,000 likes on it or something like that, right? And so that that's kind of two good examples for you.
0: And then there's this viral effect or this really compound growth effect as more people do follow you, more people discover your content, they naturally retweet and share it with other people and then it just it pours fuel on the fire.
1: Exactly, exactly, right? There's a network effect too, where Twitter is nothing but upside. And I said that earlier, but you put something out there, it's just like a free option. It could either go extremely viral because everyone engages with it and thinks it's awesome, or... The algorithm says up oh, this isn't going to help keep people on our platform we're not going to show it to anyone and it just kind of goes under the rug.
0: This is probably going to be a silly question but like our hashtags is still a thing?
1: Hashtag, definitely not a thing and it's funny to a lot of people jump on it's like oh that's how I got to do it but it's almost like a unwritten rule that you just really
0: don't use them. <laughs> okay, fair enough. This is how long it's been since I paid any attention to Twitter.
1: That's funny to me because yeah, I spend too much time on it so I'm well versed in kind of the unwritten rules but for people that jump on, they're like, I need to put 10 of them in there. And then that just kind of scares people off.
0: Yeah. They're like, dude, what are you doing? Okay. Any tools of the trade either, you know, so advanced search, That sounds like it's a tool inside the Twitter platform itself. Any scheduling tools or other research tools that you're using?
1: I use Hype Fury, which is just a, a tweet scheduler that allows me to kind of get my ideas out there and space them out just so I'm not spamming people and allows me to just not stare at Twitter all day is one I use. We're actually building part of Ship 30 right now is an application called TypeShare that allows you to write both atomic essays, which are the basis of Ship 30 and Twitter threads right in the same platform. Ilo.so is what I use for Twitter analytics. So you can kind of see the engagement on different things, what what's resonating with people, what's popular, what isn't. Those are kind of the tools of the trade.
0: Yeah, we'll go dig that up uh, and link to in the show notes. It'll be SideHustleNation.com slash Dickie, D-I-C-K-I-E. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is also sponsored by FreshBooks. When you're building a business that you care about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all of the bookkeeping and invoicing on your own, you're probably spending time on work that you don't really love from building, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks just automates and simplifies all of these kind of tough and annoying little parts about running your business. I've been a FreshBooks customer for five, six, seven years now, a long time. The all-in-one invoicing and accounting solution is built for business owners like you and I. And the best part is because I'm kind of like a nerdy numbers guy inside the dashboard. You'll find tons of cool reports to choose from, which will help you know exactly where your business stands in terms of cash flow, profitability, all that stuff. Getting up and running with Freshbooks is super quick and easy. And if you do have any questions, you can always call the award-winning Toronto-based Freshbooks support team. Side hustle show listeners can take Freshbooks on a completely free thirty day test drive with no credit card required. Hit up freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the side hustle show in the how did you hear about us section to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to get more time back to build the business you love. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh, I was going to ask about the calls to action, maybe the So you say, well, there's no downside to Twitter; it's all upside. Well, one of the downsides is you're playing in somebody else's sandbox. Like at any point, the algorithms change, the Twitter, you know, gods shut down the account. Like to me, it's it's somewhat risky. And so you've diversified. You've got the newsletter list. You've got your own product. But like, is there a consistent call to action that you put out into the world, or is it just like by virtue of you know putting out good stuff, like people naturally tend to follow your profile and go. Click on whatever the link is there. Curious how that works.
1: Yeah, the the CTA is really, you want to just have some kind of additional value add at the end of a thread. So, for example, on my advanced Twitter tips one, I just dropped a little email capture form that said, hey, if you're interested in these, I have a free 10-day just email course on it. And that runs through some of the tips uh, a little more in depth. Right. If I write one on writing, I'll link to my writing newsletter at the bottom and say, hey, if you like these writing tips, you'll like this. And if I write one on just a general life framework, I'll link to my personal newsletter at the bottom. And it's really just a, it's not going to be that clean of a transfer, but the people that are really interested in you are going to, and those are the people that you want signing up anyway. Everyone says, oh, you, you don't want to build anything on Twitter because you don't own it. But that's like saying, I'm not going to play at a music festival because someone else is bringing the audience. You want to go where the eyeballs are and then be tactical around how you can actually it's like a rented versus owned audience of course but just because you don't own it doesn't mean you shouldn't play there and i think people get caught up it's like oh i gotta write a blog post and i gotta own my platform otherwise whatever and then they end up just publishing week after week into the void where it's like having a cookout and saying everyone should come over to my party because here's where it's at and that's what those these social media platforms are basically doing People try to put links to their blog posts on Twitter. Twitter's going to just kind of stuffle those and throw them away because that's taking them off your platform. There's ways to go about it tactically, but I think everything should be repurposed for the the platform you're going to play on. And then you think more macro about, okay, how can I get these people on an email list or a product or something like that? But those are easier problems to solve than, than most people think.
0: Okay. That's actually really helpful. I guess go where the audience already is, follow the best practices to engage that audience. And then after you have done so, after you have provided value, then put your call to action at the end of these threads. So for example, I just published the side hustle snowball. So instead of linking, you know, creating a tweet, linking to that blog post podcast episode, I would be better off to create a thread. Like here is how to erase your, expenses with non-job income streams. Number one, number two, number three, number four, or something like that, like starting smallest to largest. And then at the end, here's the full podcast episode. Go click over here to check it out or something like that.
1: Exactly. And that is going to have so many more eyeballs than you just publishing it and hoping people come visit it. And that's what's so powerful.
0: I'm like taking all these notes, learning about all of the ways I'm screwing up my Twitter account and have probably uh, squandered whatever following uh, I did have over there. So Very much appreciate that. Um, I want to know about the newsletter. Did that start at the same time? Was that something you had before? This is on Substack. This is uh, com. yes? Yep, correct. Oh, dickybush.substack.com. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, No worries. And the newsletter was actually my initial thing of writing online. I committed to writing a weekly newsletter every week for 52 weeks at the start of 2020. That was like my, I was going to do it. All it was, was a summarization of podcasts and books and articles that I read during that week as kind of a forcing function to sit down at the end of the week and say, what the hell did I learn about? And the, again, goes back to the free upside of it, putting it out on the internet versus putting it in the back of a a notes app. It's just free upside. And so I did that in really just kind of slow methodical growth. I wasn't obsessed with building it because it was more just a byproduct of something I wanted to do anyway. But right now, it's I've actually taken a small break from it just because I want to think about, is it something I want to do every week? I, I've kind of proven to myself that I can be consistent and write online. And that was the initial, you know, lowering the friction, getting me to do it, getting me to build a habit, overcome the fear of kind of putting your ideas out there. So, I'm still thinking about the best way to do it going forward, but it's got four or 5,000 people who were reading it when I was publishing it. And so, there's a lot you can do with with a, with an audience like that. But For me, the newsletter was just a fun way to – you get to have a conversation with three or 4,000 people every single week. You know, I tell the story of a friend of mine who I grew up with, I probably hadn't talked to in a few years. I saw his mom at the grocery store or something and she said, I've been reading your newsletter for the last 30 weeks. I've read every one. I love it. I look forward to it every week and you realize – that you could have a conversation with one person on a Sunday, or you could write a newsletter. And basically, your entire audience builds a relationship with you for one hour of your time. And that can be so many people. And so the leverage of writing a newsletter, I think, is so cool. But now that's kind of a kind of a ramble on yes, I do have a <laughs> newsletter, and it. it's been so great to write because just it's pure upside.
0: And no, I'm I'm with you. I like the model as well. And it's some it's similar to Podcasting, you know, it takes the same effort to produce the newsletter, to produce the podcast if 10 people read it, if 10 people listen to it, or if 10,000 people listen to it. And it's this interesting, you know, one to many thing that can scale pretty nicely. And if it's something that, at least in my case, it was something I found I enjoyed doing, it's like, all right, well, we'll keep at it. Um, and it sounds like similar here, although taking a little bit of a hiatus uh, at this point. Let's transition into. The, the monetization stuff. So in November of last year, what's your four-ish months into this concerted Twitter effort, you create uh, Ship 30 for 30. What is it? Where did the idea come from? Did, you know, was the audience asking for something? Curious how this came into being.
1: Yeah. So Ship 30 for 30, for anyone who doesn't know, is, is a cohort-based writing course that teaches you the fundamentals of writing online. But instead of uh, learning passively, put your learnings into practice by writing and publishing every day for 30 days. So, hence the 30 for 30. And it started as a a very selfish uh, endeavor for me where I wanted to start writing every day. And I tried for about six or seven days and realized that I could not do it alone. So, I tweeted to my kind of small audience at the time. And like I said, this was a a relatively overlapping group of people who are interested in general improvement, smart people, podcasts, that kind of stuff. And so, I just tweeted out, hey, I want to start writing every day. Would anyone like to do this with me? Write every day for 30 days. We'll do it in a Slack channel. We'll get all together. And the response was just overwhelming. And, you know, a a type form and Notion landing page three or four days later, and boom, we're all on a Slack channel uh, writing. And it was so fun. It was exactly what I needed to have people surrounding me to actually write and publish for 30 days. And during that time, I realized I was onto something with how much creative friction was removed when you just added a little bit of constraint. So the constraints are every day for 30 days, 250 words or less, you have an hour to write it and you have to publish it when you're done. And that just creative boundaries created such a clean playground for people to say, I'm just going to sit down and write one of these every day and get these ideas out of my head. and So into that first cohort, I said, this has potential to be something really cool where you can teach people something and let them build a habit and build community around it all through this shared struggle of writing and publishing every day for 30 days. So that was the initial, it was just a writing challenge. There was no curriculum. We had no tools. You were, we were taking screenshots of the Apple notes app. Like we were a celebrity making a a public apology and yeah, that was the origin of it was was solving my own problem. And what's come of it was the internet guarantees that if you solve your own problem, there are thousands of other people, probably hundreds of thousands with that same problem that you can easily find if you just put yourself in the right place. And Twitter is that place for this, which goes back to you know, why I'm not on YouTube or TikTok, because <laughs> it's a little bit different. And Did you charge for it at that time, that first cohort? So the first cohort was $50 and you got your money back if you completed all 30 days. That was the only way I could convince people to uh, give me any kind of money, but that we had to charge for it. I always say we when I talk about this and people ask, was it just you? Yeah, it was just me, but I just got <laughs> in the habit of saying we.
0: I do the same thing. It's like, it's the collective we.
1: Yeah, it's a collective, exactly. And uh, so it was $50 because the initial form I put out there had like 500 responses of people saying, yes, I want to do this, but there needed to be some kind of skin in the game. And that is really the crux of part of the accountability is is financial. Most of it is social where you just have people around you, but the financial accountability is there. Like I paid for this. So I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to build a habit. And so really the foundation of it is is taking all of James Clear's habit building science and putting it into a writing format.
0: So you had 500 initial responses. Do you recall approximately the size of the following at that time?
1: I had probably 800, 900 Twitter followers because it kind of blew up. A couple of people that followed me picked it up and like, this is such a cool idea. You know, a lot of people should do this. And then just got sent around the the email form did. So yeah, people think you need this giant audience, but really you don't. You, You need a very small audience to get started with anything. And that, if I was giving advice to anyone, it's you have to just start before you're ready because you were probably underestimating how much you could do with the current following you have. And you just need to get those ideas going so you can iterate versus you know pontificating about it.
0: Yeah. What I love the uh, type form validation. We had another guest on who's like, you know, I, I pre-sold my first course with like a Google doc as my landing page, like no fancy, you know, sales page software or anything. It's just like, do you want this? You know, here's the Google doc version of it. And, and hopefully you had to give people their money back after they finished this challenge. I'm um, curious what else went into that tech stack for like processing the payments and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it was all done right through Typeform. So you paid on Typeform. I set up a little email follow-up that invited you to the Slack channel. I've I've written up a post, and we can link to this too, of what the tech stack was and what it currently is. But no, I mean, it was cost $5, I think, was the total because I bought a... No, that initial one was, was zero because we had less than 100 responses. So Typeform was free. I built the landing page in Notion linked to that publicly Oh, i mean there was there was literally no startup costs and the only startup cost was my time now it's obviously evolved we have a thousand people to manage and uh, employees and all that but the tech stack it blows my mind how easy it is to start things on the internet and the tools that are there for you that i mean imagine trying to start an e-commerce business 10-15 years ago you had to build a payments platform you had to build a website I mean, you can be selling anything in five minutes.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, this was a really interesting bit in Mark Randolph's uh, book on the story of Netflix. And it's like, well, we needed $2 million because there was no Stripe, there was no Shopify, there was no WordPress, there was no anything like to build it. We had to build everything from scratch in the early days of this platform. And it's like so much easier to uh, get things started today. I liked what you said about constraint breeds creativity where, okay, you know, you got 30 minutes, 250 words, you got to hit publish, we're going to do it for 30 days in a row. All of a sudden, it becomes like something more doable because you ask people all the time, like, well, what would you do to make extra money? Uh, Like, oh, I don't know. Like, it's just like when the whole world is in the realm of possibility, it becomes kind of crippling in a way. But it's like, okay, if you had to make 500 bucks by next Wednesday, what would you do? And then all of a sudden, like, people get clarity, like, oh, okay, now I have some ideas. One thing that's interesting with ship 30 for 30, well, lots of things are interesting about it, but the decision to go cohort based in in part, it sounds like from your own, like I wanted to build what I wanted. I wanted some accountability. I wanted other people to go through this with me versus evergreen on demand type of product. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah. And our, my favorite example, just to close the loop on that previous one is tell me a joke is hard, but tell me a knock knock joke is easy. Right, so you add that little bit of specificity that really makes things much easier. But So on the cohort side, I'd experimented a little bit with it uh, asynchronously of self-paced. But the social accountability that comes with you join a group of 400 others where every single person has the same exact goal, to write and publish every day for 30 days, that is where the power is. The power is in community. Time and time again, students will say, yeah, I came for the writing, but I couldn't even imagine The value of the community I was going to immerse myself in. So the reason it's cohort-based and I think will continue to be cohort-based is you need other people doing it with you. Otherwise, it's too easy to quit. And I mean, the whole reason people join is because they've tried everything else. They've tried to do it on their own. They've tried to write consistently and have struggled and have faced those same things that I had. So that is, I think, any kind of shared challenge needs to be cohort-based. Now, there could be a ton of downsells and other little things you could do self-paced and asynchronous that to be honest we haven't built yet but plan on it because that's kind of the, the second flywheel that you can spin up is if if you're providing value in one thing you're going to be able to provide asynchronous value in another thing but the cohort based model is just i think what works best and so that's what we're going to stick with
0: and now starting from this $50 price point, uh, with, with your money back, if you finish the challenge, and, and I'm kind of guilty of the same way, like almost this apologetic thing, like I have to charge you, but I don't really want to kind of a thing to 150, 250. Now, I think the latest round is at 450. So continually stepping up the, the pricing. I mean, is that just a response to the demand or the growth in the audience? Can you speak to that?
1: it's a little bit of everything where at the very beginning, I was like, Oh my goodness, someone's going to pay me $99 like that. That's absurd. <laughs> and so you start with that little bit of imposter syndrome of, I, I can't charge more than that. You're kidding me. That, that's someone work for that. But how I've kind of put it in my head is, I mean, first of all, this is a immersive cohort based course now with eight live sessions, over 15 to 20 hours of recorded video content, and I still think it is far and away the most underpriced cohort-based writing course out there. I mean, others are thousands of dollars. And I felt confident raising the price only because, one, just about everyone who finishes says, I cannot believe I paid for this in a low $100 price range. And I, I like that because how I think about pricing is it's all about perceived value. And when you pay thousands of dollars for a course you spend the entire time convincing yourself that it was worth it because it's almost impossible to have a hundred X return on your investment for something worth that you paid thousands for. Whereas when you stay in that like mid to low hundreds, that hundred X is certainly not out of the question and a 10 X is very not out of the question. And so people, they pay a couple hundred dollars and say, Oh my goodness, you delivered far and away. Right? So I still think that There'd be people who think Ship 30 was well worth the value if it was $2,000, right? But we're never, ever, ever going to charge that much. I think $450 to $500 is, is the peak only because I felt comfortable raising it $100 each cohort because we've added so much. Every single time we add a new curriculum module or a new way of doing things or better manage the community or now we have a new software platform, right? There's so much that we're adding. Or I only feel justified in increasing the price if I think we've generated 10 times more value for every dollar we increase
0: it. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. and expect that 10x or 100x ROI? Or they're just kind of like, no, this is something that I've always wanted to do. Now I finally have some accountability for it from somebody who has figured this out and a peer group who's along the ride with me. Or I don't know, I'm curious, you know, the demographic or the mindset makeup of the, of the students.
1: Yeah, not everyone expects that. And I think that that's why what, it being our goal makes it so effective. Right. If, if our goal is to deliver 10 times the value we charge to every single student, then it's just a good forcing function to say, is this adding incremental value or a 10X value? And the more we can be adding things that we think are 10Xs, the more successful every student's going to be, the more they're going to share it with their friends, right? There's equity in building a really good course that people just want to tell all their friends about because... And that's why we think charging just far less than the value we provide is such a, a good way of doing it.
0: Yeah, and with the cohort-based nature of it, you've got some built-in scarcity versus with you know a pre-recorded course. It's kind of like, well, it's, it's here. And you have to pull all these different levers. Well, like, well, this you know special discount is going away, or the doors are closing for a limited time. But like, no, it's like legitimately like, hey, we're all going to go through this together. But I'm curious if there are any dedicated like sales funnels or it just like at this point you you put it out there hey the doors are open come on in the water's warm and we're shutting it down on this date curious about the sales process if you will
1: yeah so we have a few things we have an email list that we have a free 10-day email course for people to help kind of build their writing habit and learn the fundamentals of writing online so writing headlines coming up with ideas those kind of things so what that does is at the end of the 10 days it says hey you know you could do this on your own or you no, know, enrollments now open for our next ship. 30 cohort. We'd love to have you on board. Every cohort runs for five weeks where we have an onboarding week and then 30 days of writing. And then we take two weeks between each one. During those two weeks, we just kind of do a, a small marketing blitz of, hey, you know, two weeks left to enroll. If you've been on the fence in the past, join, right? We'll do some webinars. We'll we'll start an email sequence, all those kind of things to just drum up the attention a little bit. And then a little bit of FOMO at the end saying, hey, not going to be available for seven weeks, right? You know, yeah. makes a jump now if you're thinking about it. And then we're off and running, we're off and sailing, I should say.
0: Okay, so you can collect enrollments throughout that period. Like, we'll just let you know when the next one starts. So you're not like saying, wait seven weeks because if, if people are hot and ready to go, they want to give you money today, like, okay, let's get them signed up versus, you know, waiting for the, you know, a one week window prior to the next launch.
1: Exactly, exactly. Because some people are just they get super motivated and then that would peter out if they didn't make the commitment now. So we just want to give them the option too.
0: so this is at ship 30430com slash sneak dash peak. And this is kind of one of the calls to action you were talking about at the end, like if you have a Twitter thread about how to become a better writer or anything writing related, this could be the call to action. At the end of that thread, go check out the the free uh, 10 day writing course, the free 10 day preview course.
1: Exactly. Yep. And and so when it aligns very well with the kind of content you're sharing for free and then you give them more value for free, you just kind of build up trust with with people who then say, Okay, if if this is what I get for free, I, I can't imagine what's behind the doors of the of the course. So that's kind of our, our MO.
0: Talk to me about the the time required to run this thing. So you got the full time job, maybe a a day in the life during one of these cohorts, if you care to describe that. I'm just curious how you're fitting all this stuff in.
1: Yeah, what's beautiful about it is you have the community almost running itself at this point. And, and so I partnered with Nicholas Cole, who's a, a very prolific online writer. So we split time on that. I mean, there's two live sessions per week they take out there at the end of the day. The rest is really, we have so many alumni now who who stay and come back for the next cohort. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're doing a great job just giving feedback and and making people feel you know seen and heard. And I have director of community and a director of operations who kind of take the logistics piece off my plate that we put some good systems together. So in terms of time that it takes now, it's really just the marketing and me writing, which I wanted to do anyway, right? So now I have a just a byproduct of everything I put out there. If people want to write alongside me or learn to write with me or whatever it is, there's a way of going about doing it. So I become a case study for it in a sense of, Everything I write, I can say, you know, hey, I teach how to do this, how to how to go about saying this, that, and the other thing. It's a nice little personal flywheel as well.
0: Yeah. So at the beginning, it was the collective we, and now it's the real we. We got a team, some team members in place uh, to help out with this. Well, Dicky, what's next for you? What are you excited about uh, for the rest of this year? Where do you see this thing going?
1: Yeah, it's been definitely a sprint of the last seven or eight months, and right now, I, I think. There's just so much more we could do to improve and just get more people involved. I feel so strongly about increasing the number of riders on the internet, which is a, another reason we're not going to raise the prices because I think it cuts out a lot of people. I'm really excited about just what could be next. We have 1200, 1300 people who've gone through ship 30 now who are going to have trust in us and then are going to say, Hey, we'd love if you could solve this problem for us next. So whether that's creating a course on how to write and, structure a course for yourself or uh expanding to different platforms or other things like that. And this is all just fun for me. I, I love what I do full time as well. So just it's fun to wake up every day and have a bunch of different things to work on to be twenty five and have opportunities to just learn and grow every day. And so I I think I'm I'm just grateful to be in a position of having fun. I got doing this. All.
0: Pause you right there. You just made me feel really old. <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I, I do have to always say that because some people were like, "Oh, I can not believe you were not 30, 35. I mean, I got a beard. So I guess I, I come off as older, but
0: mature beyond your years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've got, I've got like actual little uh, tears in my eyes at that. Okay. Well, this is what Dickie has accomplished at at 25 in just the last uh, 12 months. I love this point about, well, what comes next? Well, it's, you know, listening to the audience that you built, what are they struggling with? What are they going to ask for? And so many products and service ideas come from that. We've seen that over and over again from Side Hustle Show guests. Be sure to follow along at Dickie Bush on Twitter. Again, check out ship30for30.com slash sneak-peek. We'll link that up in the show notes too. That's your free 10-day writing course for the internet, sneak preview course. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation.
1: Get started before you're ready. It's never going to be the perfect time to start a side hustle. It's never going to be the first time to increase your prices. It's never going to be the right time to test a new idea. And so the best time is just to get started on it right now, get those ideas out there, test the market, test the waters and treat everything that you're assuming as a science experiment and go test those assumptions. If you think you could make 500 doing X, get it out there, try it and accelerate these feedback loops because The last thing you want to do is undervalue how valuable your time is. And so for every second you spend on something that the market doesn't really want, you're really wasting it. And so the faster you can figure out all the things that the market doesn't want, the sooner you're going to figure out what they do want, and then you're off and running. So your goal should be just, let's find 10 things that don't work, because on that 11th thing, then I know I can go all in.
0: Yeah, it's so true. Take some swings, keep your downsides low. I like this call to get started before you feel ready. So I just hit publish on a new book of mine, 1K 100 Ways, and each profile, so it asks 100 side hustlers, like, you know, what mistakes that you made along the way? You know, what what would you do differently? And the most common response was, I wish I'd started earlier. So I like this call to get started before you're ready. Vicky, thanks for sharing your insight. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. FreshBooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day completely free trial of the number one invoicing and bookkeeping solution for freelancers and service providers everywhere. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.